this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This episode is sponsored by Kurgo. Kurgo was started by two brothers who loved to hike and travel and wanted their dogs to come along. The first product idea came when the dog slid off the front seat and got tangled in their pedals and nearly caused an accident. So they invented a backseat barrier to keep dogs out of the front seat and they continued into other dog safety and travel products. Kurgo was among the first manufacturers to produce crash-tested dog harnesses that keep your dog safe in the event of an accident, and they offer many different in-car safety solutions for your pets, along with harnesses, collars, boots, coats, leashes, and car seat covers. Go to kurgostore, K-U-R-G-O store.com slash bookriot now and get 30% off your order total. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading, or at least that's what we're usually about. Again, we're back today. with part two of our 2014 holiday extravaganza book recommendation extravaganza bonanza. bonanza. <laughs> um, and uh, we just did 50 some odd minutes of Rex, and we're going to do a little bit more than that. You ready? I'm so ready. Let's do it. Uh, all right, so we're bouncing back up into our show here. So where are we? Where are we? We are talking to uh, a listener who is a teacher. Oh, this she, is a tough one. This, this is a good, tough one. Okay. Yes. She works in a program that seeks out 18 to 21-year-olds who have not gotten their high school diploma and are not engaged or enrolled in school and attempts to re-engage them in order to get them to finish their high school diploma and get a degree. Um, the vast majority of them have not completed 12th grade English, and so they need a compulsory course. Um, the students are not avid readers, and for many of them, the idea of reading a novel or writing an essay um, it can be the barrier to their diploma for a variety of reasons. It might be overwhelming or intimidating to them. Um, she is looking for relevant and engaging materials. She's open to traditional novels, audiobooks, graphic novels, any other amazing medium of storytelling that we can think of that might grab her students and get them excited. Um, again, they're mostly 18 to 21 year old, um, 60, about 60% of them are male. Um, a lot of them are working. Some of them have children and, um, you know, literacy is a struggle for them. The traditional classroom is also a nightmare to many of these students. They, um, you know, are are not engaged by the traditional methods. And so she is looking for books that she can offer in this course that will keep them engaged enough that they will get their degrees um, and finish this compulsory English course so that they can go on to whatever the next step might be in their life. Tough one. Um, and Big I have, responsibility I have there. Very, I have very... It's, it's tough. So we're going to give you some ideas. And if they sound great and you want to take any of them, great. And if they sound terrible and horribly inappropriate, we will not be offended <laughs> at all either. Um, so you you and I both had sort of the similar initial ideas. Well, what about graphic novels? Mm -hmm. um, they're, they can be more engaging. There's, you know, since it's not just a big wall of texts, 
Um, so if it's, and yet you still have to, you, you, there's critical things you can think about and ideas and issues that can come up and you are doing some reading as well there. Um, so I have two picks in that regard and I sort of picked that's, it's dudes who like the outdoors and kind of a do it yourself trucks and, um, you know, more of a, I don't know, kind of a do it yourself, I don't know, worldview. Um, so a couple that, that sprung to mind were, um, one was called Why the Last Man um, by Vaughn Carrera. And the story here is the main character is the last man in the world after an apocalypse basically wipes all other uh, males of the species out. So he's out there trying to make sense of what's going on. Um, there's a lot of devastation as well. It's funny and poignant and bleak and interesting. Um, and there's a whole bunch of them. I think there's now maybe like 12 or 18 trade volumes. Mm. Um, but the first one especially is really, really interesting. So that's one that get them something to warm them up. Um, one that's along the same lines called DMZ um, by Brian Wood. And, uh, oh, I should know the illustrator's name off the top of my head. Oh, Ricardo um, Bercelli. And it is also kind of a near future dystopia, but it's not from some apocalypse, but it's the second American civil war between the secessionist America and the United sort of the the free states of the America on one side, and Manhattan is a demilitarized zone where it's kind of a lawless place where um, a reporter gets dropped in on assignment and he's exploring what's going on. And it's sort of exploring social issues and political issues through a refracted lens of this sort of not us space, which I thought might be an interesting way of talking things about personal liberty and violence and justice and poverty and surveillance might be a way of something that doesn't seem super heavy handed um, right away, but gives you an entree into talking about larger issues might be interesting there. Um, other thing I was thinking about is short stories. Hmm. Um, you can, you know, pick one and if they like it, give them more. And if they don't like it, don't give them anything more. And I picked two that might be appealing to this particular group you're talking about. Um, the first is Everything Ravaged, Everything Burned by Wells Tower. And it is kind of a rare thing. It is a, a book of short stories, literary fiction, but it's about working class people um, and especially working class men and, you know, um, girlfriends that have left, difficulties with wife, estranged children, trouble finding work, um, people that like to go fishing. It's really beautiful, done well, has great sympathy and empathy and um, identification with his characters. This book came out a while ago, but a really good collection of short stories. The last one's weird. It's a one-off. It's like about Vikings or something. I don't know how hmm. it slipped in there. Um, and then the other one, kind of a similar um, demographic in terms of working class people, but this is along the border of Mexico and Texas, The Boy Kings of Texas by Domingo Martinez. Um, teenage and a little bit older boys trying to get along stories of what they go through and what they try to accomplish, their hopes and dreams and fears and failures um, along the Texas-Mexico border, which might be interesting to them as well. So those are my picks. Uh, one that I just thought of while you were talking is Townie by Andre Debus III. Mm. Uh, it's a memoir. He grew up in, a, I think it's Massachusetts, I but so small, small New England town. Um, 
relatively, you know, blue collar townies who live there, but surrounded by the, you know, wealthy professors at the universities and the wealthy students who come uh, to attend there. And he is a, it's a memoir. He He's now a writer and a, a very good and respected one at that, but he is a very angry young man who's looking for a fight. Um, and this is uh, largely a memoir of uh, the the fights and the struggles of his young manhood. And um, there are some love relationships. I'm not positive that this would qualify for the appropriate for high school syllabus um, in terms of content uh, that our listener requested. It's been a few years since I read it, so you would want to check that out. But it's a very affecting, very honest memoir um, about some really unflattering parts of this man's life, but also from the perspective of a couple of decades about what uh, what that time in his life meant and what it required uh, to get past those difficulties and to have a career and a life that he's proud of. Um, I feel like there's a lot to identify with there and to discuss and just to see someone that um, that also has not followed the traditional and expected path. Uh, for graphic novels, I was thinking of Saga by Brian K. Vaughn mm-hmm. and Fiona Staples, which is like, it feels kind of funny to say it's a book riot house favorite because it's basically <laughs> a house favorite of everyone who's currently reading comics and, gra- <laughs> and graphic novels. Um, everyone loves it. Uh, but it's set in outer space. Um, the two main characters were raised on planets that are opposing each other and they're supposed to hate each other, but they have met and fallen in love. They were both warriors um, or soldiers on their home planets. Um, and so now they're on the run, basically from like the interstellar law uh, with their child. There are crazy bad guys and uh, their families get involved and there's the, there are these big legacies. But at the heart of it, it's this story about these people just trying to be good to each other, um, to raise their kid and to get by in a world that is set up to tell them that they shouldn't be together and that they shouldn't get by. It's so compelling. Um, it's so honest. It's the first graphic novel that really got me hooked um, or the first comic uh, and it's just a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Also, like I think um, Vaughn and Staples move so well from uh, a big, serious, heavy moment to a lighthearted, funny, ridiculous moment. Like there's a character whose pet is a cat that can detect when you're lying. And lying just- cat. Right. <laughs> right, right. Also, obviously named, uh, but mm-hmm. we'll just look and say lying, uh, and it's just uh, it's just a joy to read, um, and especially if big pages full of chunks of text are intimidating to students. Comics are, are such a great way to go. Yeah. Um, that's that's novel, a good one too. Yeah. I mean, everybody likes saga, Everyone likes right? saga. Everyone um, likes saga. That's maybe the safest recommendation we can make too. Right. It's just the most <laughs> yes. likely to make someone like it. Um, on the novel side, I picked Miss Entropia and the Atom Bomb by George Rabassa. It's a few years old. I, I remember really loving it. And I keep going back to it. Um, the kids are a little bit younger than your students. They're, I think, 16 or 17, but it's Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving or Christmas. It's either Thanksgiving or Christmas Day when it opens, and the main character's family is sitting at their big formal dinner uh, when the van from the local mental hospital pulls up to take him away because his parents think that there's something wrong with him. Um, And so they have called this van to take him away and to fix him uh, because they don't want to deal with that in their family. And while he's in the hospital, he meets a girl uh, and they run off and have a caper. Um, So it's a little bit about a teenage love story, but it's more about 
identity, about that divide between what your family wants you to be and who you are and how you get okay with, with mm-hmm. that divide existing um, when you can't close the divide. It's also very, it's funny and touching. Um, there, It's mostly from the male character's perspective. So there's some good uh, like guy book uh, pieces to it there. But I just remember really, really enjoying the book and um, feeling like it didn't get all the love that it deserved. All right. The next right. one was the single easiest one for me. So I'll I'll go read I'll read it and then you can uh, follow oh, wait, up and gotta, I'll put a button on it. We gotta do our sponsor. Oh, a sponsor. Yes, do it. Go for it. All right. This show is sponsored by Kurgo. Go to kurgostore.com to check them out. It's k u r g o store.com. Uh, and this is a store that was started by two brothers who love to hike and they love to travel and they wanted their dogs to come along. Uh, They got the idea when one of their dogs slid off the front seat and nearly caused an accident. Um, So they invented a backseat barrier to keep the dogs out of the front seat. And they went on to develop harnesses. They were one of the first manufacturers to um, to have crash tested dog harnesses. And now they sort of do all things dog related. You can get dishes and harnesses and leashes and bowls and seat covers, and um, all of the products have a lifetime warranty. So if anything doesn't function as it's supposed to at any point in time while you own it, they'll replace it or repair it for free. Um, The folks at Kurgo know that I have a dog that I like to take places with me. Uh, So they sent me some stuff to try out. So I can tell you that I got the shorty bench seat that fits perfectly over the um, the back seat of my FJ Cruiser and fits better than any of the um, other seat covers that I've had. Like, I don't know if you've ever put a wet dog into the back seat of a car, but (laughs) mine does something that is akin to like an alligator rolling around when you're trying to catch it by its snout. She just does it all on her own. Uh, And I've seen many a seat cover come tangled and apart or like towels go everywhere. This one secures in multiple spots and there are little holes where you can pull um, your seatbelt buckles through. So if People are going to sit in the back seat with the dog. You can have people and dogs, and everyone can be buckled in and safe. They have great collapsible dishes um, that pack flat but then pop up um, for if you're hiking and you want to have water for your dog. A whole variety of leashes and collars and dog accessories and great stuff. Um, go to kurgostore.com slash bookriot, which lets them know that we sent you, but also gives you 30% off your order total. Because I know that you are buying your dog Christmas presents, mm-hmm. and you might as well save 30% on them from the good folks I saw at there's some unbelievable um, number of dollars spent on, on pets every Christmas. <laughs> Blew well, my mind. My mind was blown out. <laughs> Had to pick it up, put it back in. We may or may not in my house take a yearly trip to the pet store for Santa Paws. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that just so I can stay conscious enough to get through the uh, rest of the recommendations. Uh, as I said before, this was the this was the easiest one. Booked it, Dano, like in ten seconds. So basically, mm-hmm. um, this is Jane. She's asking, this isn't a gift request either for herself or a family member, but she's got a uh, reading situation that needs a solution. Mm -hmm. She's moving to uh, Annapolis, Maryland from Kansas City, and she's going to drive there 1,100 miles, and her mom has agreed to go with her. Nice mom. Good mom. Very nice to have. Problem is, their musical tastes are not similar, so Jane thought audiobook, which I think is a great idea. That is an excellent solution. Could not get on board more with this. So can you help pick out a book? She says, 
Um, Jane's personal taste. She likes true crime, thrillers, family sagas, and epics. Mom okay. likes Jane Austen, YA, and Stephanie Plum. Uh, Stephanie Plum series by uh, Janet uh, Ivanovich. Have I ever mm-hmm. said that That's out loud? That's right. Ivanovich. I don't know, but you did it very well, my friend. Uh, Evanovic. Um, <laughs> I'm going with The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern, narrated by Jim Dale. Now, it's a solid pick. Solid pick. It's a good story. And it's a great story. So it's a, there's a couple of magicians and like not sort of like David Copperfield magicians, like real magicians who live in a 19th century version of our world. So it's like it's kind of it's basically our world, except there happens to be a couple of real magicians in it, frankly. I sort of pictured it like Dickensian London. Yes, but with yes, magicians. very much so. Um, and they've had a longstanding rivalry and they make a bet with each other um, that they can train that you know, which of them can train a better magician? And that's the story. And their two um, protégés meet and things happen. I'm not going to give away more than and that. And it's so good. It's very good, but it's Jim Dale's a great narrator. Michelle, this is the first audiobook um, Michelle ever listened to, and she has is still trying to recapture the magic of it. Um, she would come home from work and, like, She'd be in her coat off the train and have her headphones on. She'd just sit down and keep listening um, to the oh, book. Oh, that's so great. So that's, you know, that's, that's a great pick. It's, it's moms are going to like it. I like it. I think, Jane, you'll like it. It doesn't tick any of your boxes exactly, but it has a little bit of the romance. It has a little bit of the family saga, yeah. a little bit of the mystery and magic transporting and just beautifully narrated. Jim Dale also did um, a widely acclaimed uh, narration of the Harry Potter series as well. A lot of people know him from mm-hmm. that. So that's my pick. While you were talking, I was thinking about the YA side and mm. maybe um, some of Rainbow Rowell's books um, on audio. I've heard uh, Eleanor and Park is fantastic because it's, it has two narrators for the different the oh, two right. characters' yes. perspectives. If you didn't want to go to quite that YA, if your mom wouldn't go that way, uh, Rainbow Rowell's latest adult novel, Landline, came out earlier this year. Um, it's about uh, a couple that are struggling in their marriage and uh, they separate for a little while over the holidays. Uh, And when she answers the phone in her bedroom at her parents' house, she finds that it's her husband, but from like 20 years ago on the other end. And she gets to talk to him and think about their marriage and her life and her career and the choices that she's made and what she's going to do to put it all back together or can it even be put all back together. Um, I have not heard the audio of Landline. I read the print edition, mm. but some of our contributors listened to it and said that they thought it was really wonderful. Um, I would be remiss not to give a shout out to my best friend and uh soulmate but she doesn't know it yet amy polar oh i'm gonna fill the square on my bingo card hold on (laughs) i'm surprised we made it to the second episode uh, right next to the sparrow right there right Right. oh and i got a little teary on the first episode and crying yeah you're gonna you have bingo now yeah i'm trying to see what else do i (laughs) we haven't talked about marilyn robinson yet we haven't had a morrison that's center square center square right uh, Amy Poehler's new book, Yes, Please, is great on audio. It's funny and smart. Uh, there's some really great mother-daughter stuff, and her mom even reads a few sections of it. So since you're making a big life transition and your mom will be there with you, that would be really fun. Um, Tina Fey's Bossy Pants was also phenomenal on audio. And if you just want a fun memoir to listen to that will be interesting uh, and informative and friendly and family-oriented, um, An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth by Chris Hadfield, who's a Canadian astronaut that's flown with, uh, he's flown with the Canadian Space Agency and with NASA. And for a while, he was the 
I think it's commander, the head space guy of the International Space Station. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so it's just so wonderful. The book is not really about the glamorous parts of being an astronaut, but about um, the the daily work and the meaning of, of you know choosing work that you care about and balancing that work with your family. Uh, it's it just was so much fun to listen to, and I've been longing for it to be a TV show of, of some <laughs> kind. And I don't know. This is my. If you want to like cry from mm. Kansas, <laughs> from Kansas City to Maryland, so you need your steel your, magnolias of audio right. yeah. If you need to have a moment with your mom about the meaning of mother daughter stuff, and sometimes we need to do that. Uh, when women were birds by Terry Tempest Williams uh, is fifty four short vin- vignettes. She calls them uh, meditations um, that were written. The year that Terry was 54, um, in reflection of the year that her mother was 54 and died of cancer and left Terry um, her lifetime's collection of journals, and then Terry discovered that they were all blank. And so it's a, a an exploration of what it means to have a voice and to choose not to use it, um, sort of Terry thinking through who her mother was um, who she knew her mother to be and who her mother might have been away from her family and off those pages. Uh, and it's, man, it, it is powerful stuff, but you, you will cry if you listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no hedging about it. You will cry. You will cry the ugly cry. So maybe not while the car is in motion. <laughs> ugly crying with mom. Okay. This next one, this is straight, up the middle of Jeff Rebecca happiness. I think, <laughs> I think um, so too. This is from uh, Katie Tawawa. She is requesting a recommendation for her new husband and she wants to surprise him. Uh, he's a little hard to shop for though. He doesn't read much fiction, uh, but he does love Dan Brown. So do we, Katie. So mm-hmm. do we. And H.G. Wells. Um, his main interests are history, conservative po- political thought, Christianity, and Freemasonry. Any suggestions? Well, Katie, my friend, I'm happy to let you know (laughs) (laughs) that in time for the holidays, because the folks at Random House are smart, there is a new illustrated version of The Inferno by Dan Brown, and it looks pretty fantastic. Mm -hmm. Uh, If your new hubby has already read The Inferno and you don't think he would want a new copy of it, I think Patrick O'Brien's Master and Commander series might be the one of the ways to go um it's historical fiction uh, men on ships with battles and winches <laughs> and whatever it is that men do on ships oh there's also grog um my husband nurses this dream of like sitting on the deck of a beach house and just listening somehow to all 21 books of the master and commander series in one vacation. <laughs> uh, but they're incredibly well done. Patrick O'Brien was recognized for, um, for what he did and how fully realized and detailed the stories were. So little military stuff, history, sailing, uh, that wouldn't hit your conservative political thought, Christianity, Freemasonry points, uh, but I think probably a safe bet. Um, mine's a little different. I, I'm more sort of thinking of kind of um, H.G. Wells and Dan Brown, not so much as um, like what they stand for, but they're page turners, right? Mm-hmm. They, they have good stories and you want to find out what happens. I've got a, I, haven't, I don't talk about too much on the podcast, but I've got a little sub-interest in spy novels. I like, um, and one that I read last year that 
I didn't see many people talking about. It's called uh, A Deniable Death by Gerald Seymour, um, a well-known British spy novelist. And this one is about a joint U.S.-British attempt. It's fiction, you know, um, but there's an Iranian bomb maker called The Engineer. And it's super realistic. It's very detailed. um, And really to my take, really kind of transcends the genre of the spy novel. It would kind of rise to the level of like John Le Carre or something like that. It's not your average sort of, oh, not to drag, not, not to crack on anybody, but like your kind of run-of-the-mill spy novel. Um, it's The characters are good. It's super suspenseful. The, the world of espionage and what they go through and the politics and the morality involved. And it, it, it even becomes a little, there's even a little gravitas thrown in. Um, so maybe more for his historical page-turning kind of way. It's a good read, very well done. I'm surprised more people don't talk about Gerald Seymour. Um, it's a really interesting and fun page-turning book. So that would be my pick there. All right. Hello, Book Riot! Exclamation point. Um, let's see. This, I think this is, in a way, one of the more difficult and favorite of the questions we got. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Barbie. She's looking for a book for her grandmother, who is a voracious reader and has been her whole life. She reads over 150 books a year. Um, she wants to find her something new as a holiday gift. But problem is, she pretty much reads all the bestsellers. She likes cozy mysteries and literary fiction. She's looking for something a little under the radar that she wouldn't heard of before, because if it was on the radar, she's probably read it, because you do 150 books, and you're a grandmother. You've, you know, you've had several decades to, to cover the waterfront. Um, so in terms of style, she loves and rereads often The Tender is the Night by F. F. Scott Fitzgerald and anything by Lee Smith. So I did the cozy mystery and little literary fiction. I tried to blend them up a little bit, put them in a little blender and a little, put okay. a little sour cream and chives on them. Um, you put, that's an interesting blender. Well, I guess it's not really a blender. It's more of a <laughs> crockpot situation. When a weird magic bullet yeah, yeah, that's right. So <laughs> I'm looking for things that are sort of a combination of a mystery and literary fiction. So I got three picks. Um, we talked about this. It came out just in paperback a couple of weeks ago, Silence Once Begun by Jesse Ball, mm-hmm. um, which is it's literary fiction. It's even more than literary fiction, almost experimental fiction. But this is at its core about a mystery Something happens. I don't want to give away too much, but it becomes kind of a meta discourse on crime fiction in a way of uh, police and surveillance and interrogation and things like that. It's a sly book. That one's interesting. Another one that's a little bit of a kind of a literary f- mystery with a twist is The Intuition by Colson Whitehead. That was his debut novel. Um, came out, I think, in 99. It's kind of a weird premise to talk about because it's like in a, it's in a bizarro version of our own universe where there are two rival schools of elevator inspection. I know that sounds weird, but that's what it is. There's one that's the intuitionists and there's the empiricists. The intuitionists, they kind of, they go into an elevator and they just sort of open their spirit and kind of can sense using the force what's wrong with the elevator. They're the woo-woo elevator yeah, so inspectors. And then there's the empiricists that like, you know, you knew science and stuff. Um, <laughs> but the main character is Lila Mae Watson and there's a mystery about a, an, a, an elevator accident, and she starts investigating on her own, and it becomes a whole big conspiracy about the, the way this world is put together. And there's a big secret at the core of these two diametrically opposed schools of elevator inspection. Wildly inventive, really interesting, seems super realistic. It's a page-turner, but also beautifully written. It was the book that put Colson Whitehead on the map. Um, 
And those are my two picks there. An, you took an interesting and surprising angle with that oh, one, I'm, but that, I like it. That's is 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 any good? Did you like the dish? And it's like, well, it's interesting. Anyway, go for it. <laughs> no. Well, I just wrote down that I need to buy the Intuitionist, so mm. you at least sold me. Uh, oh, you I haven't took, read that one. I haven't oh, read that hence one. The laughter about the elevator. It's like you you didn't remember that, or just okay. I get. No, it I mean, now. I I'd heard that it was about elevator something with elevators, but I hadn't heard about that. It was like competing inspection. Woo woo. Yes. Feel your way to fixing the elevator. <laughs> it's, <laughs> so. it's really cool. And that, it sounds weirder than it is in the book somehow, but anyway, which I feel like Colson Whitehead, that is a good way to sum up yes. a lot of his fiction. This is one that I haven't read, but like zone one is not exactly what it sounds like either, but it's not as weird as you think it's going <laughs> right. to be. Either. Right, it's like, right, it right. just makes total sense. Um, I went for the F. Scott Fitzgerald and ah, Lee Smith yes. angles. Um, since Grandma likes F. Scott Fitzgerald, I thought things from that era um, or stories about that era, but that are that are newer. And I kind of shot for uh, mid-list or some books that came out relatively recently, but that weren't huge, huge, huge. Um, and the first is Z, a novel of Zelda Fitzgerald by Therese Ann Fowler. The other is Call Me Zelda by Erica Roebuck. Um, those both came out in 2013. 13, and they take different angles on um, telling stories inspired by the life of Zelda Fitzgerald, very heavily researched novels. Um, I know Erica Roebuck personally, so take that with mm. whatever uh, grain of salt you want to take it with. But um, there were really interesting stories in the news last year about sort of this resurgence of interest in Zelda um, and not just, you know, fascination uh, with F. Scott Fitzgerald's life, especially as The Great Gatsby was coming out on film again. Um, both of those novels come highly recommended. For Lee Smith, um, if your grandma reads anything by Lee Smith that says to me that like those kind of ring the same bells that the cozy stories uh, mm -hmm. ring, but it's that warm Southern sensibility, um, but about real life. Uh, so uh, I think Susan Gregg Gilmore is a great place to go. Her first novel, Looking for Salvation at the Dairy Queen, is about a young woman getting out of her small town in Georgia or dreaming about getting out of her small town in Georgia and what happens with her life after that. Um, her newer novel, The Funeral Dress, is just really uh, beautiful and deeply researched, but um, about a, a seamstress in a small town. I think it's in the Tennessee mountains uh, and what happened with her family, how she worked in this factory for years and years. Um, I also know Susan, so grains of salt. All of, <laughs> I mean, it's just a salt confetti. Uh, but I think these books, her books are really wonderful. I've given them to my mom, who is a like tried and true Southern lady, and uh, and she really likes those as well. I and mean, then I think short stories by Jill McCorkle, any of her collections, uh, Going Away Shoes, I believe, uh, is the, the one that I read most recently uh, might be a great place to go for grandma who likes that sort of Southern feeling. Um, there's a little more teeth to all of these than to like um, Fanny Flagg. Mm -hmm. But if somehow magically your grandmother has not read everything that Fanny Flagg has written, just buy all of those. Yeah, I, I said it, I had three picks. I did two. I have one more pick and it's more of the oh. tender of the night uh, tip there. Um, a particular area of my expertise, I have to say, um, and I'm going to go, I'm not even going to go a second cut. I'm going to go a third pick from oh. a second cut. So, of course, you know Fitzgerald and Hemingway. Those are the two sort of, you know, beacons of the lost generation in the 20s. Well, there was another guy came along a little bit later named John O'Hara. And probably his most famous book is called Appointment in Samara. It's, it's good. And the most well-known 
title is Butterfield 8 because it was made into a movie that was relatively well known. Mm-hmm. But for Tender of the Night, I'm going to go with his novel called From the Terrace. And the the boxes it takes with Tender of the Night, it's these wealthy socialites, complicated male-female stuff going on, secrets, intrigue, and alcohol. Mm. And beautiful sentences. So that's um, From the Terrace by John O'Hara. Maybe she's read that. I don't know. But that's a pretty deep cut. So I'm looking for one that's that's not under the radar. That's positively subterranean. Um, Do you think Grandma's read James Salter? Yeah, I, I thought maybe, but we also I also picked James Salter later. So oh. hold on, Grandma. But Google James Salter. Ja- we'll talk about James Salter here in a minute. So yeah. <laughs> but first, we should do a sponsor. We'll do a sponsor. I'm lost. Hold on. Let me let me catch up. <laughs> it's Random House Audiobooks. There again. Mm-hmm. We just talked about audiobooks and traveling and the holiday time. You can do a cooking, do a cleaning, uh, you can do a gardening, folding the laundry. So many kinds of ways you can fit more books into your ears and face and head rather than just looking at text on a screen or a page. That's great. So go to tryaudiobooks.com. So if you're, it, they'll match you with whatever the kind of, uh, well, not whatever, but they have some activities you might be doing that are good for listening to an audiobook at the same time. Crafting, commuting, road trip, gardening. Go to trialbooks.com. They've got a whole bunch of different kinds of picks, different kinds of situations, from the newest bestseller to a favorite author to all kinds of backlists. Go to trialbooks, get a suggestion, something for everybody. Audiobooks are here, and they're here to stay, and they're growing super fast. And uh, if you're listening to this, you should try an audiobook if you haven't already. It's also be a good gift to give to someone. Mm-hmm. Most of our parents and siblings and whoever's in our lives, significant others, most of us have smartphones now. And so, and all of us have headphones, um, I presume. So picking out a book for someone to listen to when they're in their car or on the subway or doing the, any number of activities that you do without having to use your eyes necessarily be a great gift for someone who likes books um, in that regard. So thanks so much to Random House Audiobooks for sponsoring and go check out trialbooks.com. All right, why don't you take the next one? All right, the next one, this is from Gabriella. Um, she's searching for her, let's see, some of her friends. Uh, this friend is a graduating senior, and we, I guess we don't know high school or college. Mm, that's uh, she's right, we don't. really into musical theater, um, but also into British culture, Doctor Who, Harry Potter, all that stuff. Probably Sherlock, I would guess. Um, she's studying abroad in London right now, and uh, Gabriella wants to get her something that will be just right for living abroad. Um, so... That's our question. Yes. What are we going to do? Pop culture, British stuff, musical theater. Well, I, I can't take any of uh, all of those. I can't do it. Can you? No, Pop culture, not British musical theater. I, I mean, there I mean, are no, some. I don't like, know any novels about musical theater. Mm-hmm. I have to say, there are some collections of short stories mm. based on Doctor Who, but I. Yeah. Don't know Doctor Who well enough to know if there have ever been musical numbers yeah, on Doctor I Who. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, let me do my <laughs> pick. Um, okay, I'm going to do the. I guess more to the Harry Potter slash London bit. She's studying abroad in London right now, so that must be college. Very few people study abroad in high school. But um, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell came out boy ten or twelve years ago now by yeah. Susanna Clark, um, and it's another book weirdly kind of like the Night Circus where it's like. 
Victorian England and everything's normal except there's two magicians. <laughs> um, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Mr. Norrell is the, the elder magician and he's more of a scholarly magician. He spent his whole life researching real magic um, uh, and the arcana and he has a huge library and a collection of things and he's been researching and he's got learned enough that he actually can do a little real magic. And then Jonathan Strange walks into his life and he's sort of a natural uh, 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 mm-hmm. uh, wizard savant can do all sorts of things that Mr. Null not only never knew could be done, but has learned how to do them without training, it seems to be. Well, they he becomes a student of Norrell, but then eventually rivals. And it, it's interesting because it, Clark takes it in a way where it starts to intersect with history. Like um, the... I can't remember if it's Strange or Norrell, but sort of gets picked up by the British Army in their fight against Napoleon to, like, help him out, <laughs> you know, and, like, do stuff, like move the roads around and play tricks and all kinds oh, of interesting fun. things. Um, and it's it's got an interesting ending, and there's long been rumored that there's another – once you get to the end, it's not an unsatisfying ending, but you can tell there could be more. There could be more. It kind of opens up rather than shuts down without being a cliffhanger, if that makes sense. Um, long been rumored that she's working on something else. She hasn't published anything since, to my knowledge, but it's a nice big book for traveling. If you're going to be on a plane, trains, things of that nature, it's great. I really liked it. I recommend it to both of my brothers, um, and they both really liked it too. So that's one I would pick. Mm, I had fun with this question. Yes, you did. I can tell by your picks here. <laughs> These are three sort of Shinsky go-tos, but kind of not, not, you're kind of pulling off the bench a little bit. Yeah, a little bit off the bench. Um, the first one is probably the most obvious uh, pick on the Shinsky yes, bench, yes. and that would be uh, Lev Grossman's Magicians trilogy, which starts with The Magicians, uh, and then goes to The Magician King and The Magician's Land. Um, it's about a a teenager named Quentin who's going for his college interview, but it turns out he's being whisked away for an interview at a school for magicians that I always have envisioned as kind of like um, Xavier Academy um, from the X-Men. Right. Uh, Just like that exists in a place that no one who doesn't know about it can find in a beautiful field somewhere. And it's like stones and gorgeous stuff. (laughs) Uh, And so it turns out that he is a magician. And so he goes there instead of going to regular college um, and meets a bunch of other kids who are becoming magicians and also discovers that this series of books that are basically the Narnia books that he's grown up loving are based on truths about a real place that exists and is magical and that he can go there and gets sort of wrapped up in trying to rule that other land and traveling back and forth um, to the regular world, but being a magician. And so also like he's a young adult. So there um, is some sex and there are some drugs. It gets pitched often as Harry Potter with sex and drugs, but I don't think that's quite, it's not quite right. Um, And it's very much a love song to fantasy and to books about magic, though. Grossman is clearly a student of um, of the Narnia books, of Harry Potter, of some deeper cuts of sci-fi and fantasy that there are little send-ups and winks to in the text. Um, but it's just the kind of story that I would want to read if I were like sitting in a flat in London looking at a rainy day. Mm-hmm. Um, for something set in London, one of my favorites of all time is Angel Maker by Nick Harkaway about a guy named Joe Spork who is a clock repairman uh, and he is just trying to keep it on the straight and narrow because his father has been um, involved in the London underground run by a bunch of criminals uh, 
But it turns out that there's a bad guy who's trying to end the world with these mechanical bees. And there's stuff with trains. And there's an old lady named Edie Bannister who used to be a spy and is now just incredibly badass. And so Joe Spork is like capering through London and trying to get across London to other countries and prevent the bad guy from releasing the mechanical bees that will end the world. Uh, it sounds totally bonkers. It's so great uh, and so funny and so much fun. Um, and then my deepest cut here is Moondogs by Alexander Yates. Man, that's uh, a name I haven't heard in a while. Is it three years ago that came out now? Yeah, I think it was, let's see... I think that it was 2011. Yeah, because I think the first time we did Tournament of Books coverage, right. that was coming out. Yeah, we and it was one of my favorite books yeah. that year. It's um, it's about a guy in his 20s who's just lost his mom, and he travels to Manila to reconnect with his father, from whom he's been estranged. Um, but he gets there, and his dad is nowhere to be found um, because he's been kidnapped by a meth-addicted cab driver uh and th there are terrorists involved but also magic like there's this whole group of uh, of people i think he calls them brujas in the story who have special powers uh, and so at the heart of it it's this kid trying to find his father and to save him from the terrorists but they're not normal terrorists they're terrorists who have super villain powers and mm. there's like a squad of them uh it would make such a fantastic comic book also mm -hmm. um it's really difficult to pitch yes it's so it much like i know i am not making much sense right now <laughs> <laughs> i understand that <laughs> it's one of those that if you start reading it it might not make that much sense to you for the first 30 or 50 pages and then it will all make sense and it will be great i promise all right Good picks, good picks. Uh, let's see, what do we got coming up next? Ah, yes. This one's interesting. Um, my brother and I lo uh, love reading but have different tastes. My brother likes fantasy, spe uh, especially Brandon Sanderson. We do agree, however, on Neil Gaiman books and The Sparrow by Mary Darius would drink. Um, he began <laughs> his first job this year as a high school teacher teaching American literature. Any suggestions for leisure as a new teacher? Um, hmm. I'm going high fantasy here. With okay. the Throne of the Crescent Moon by Saladin Ahmed, so if he likes Brandon Sanderson or like uh, the Sword of Shannara books and that that kind of stuff, like high sword and sorcery fantasy, this is one that just came out um, I think last year from Saladin Ahmed, who has had multiple Nebula Hugo Award nominations mm -hmm. for a short fiction, but this is his first book. And it's just what you want from a sword and sorcery books. There's adventure, there's mystery, there's intrigue. Um, there's some magic and backstory and deep world building and all that stuff. And it's great. And it's, it's better than most. And also it's in an unusual setting for high sword and sorcery, like not in some sort of vaguely English place. It's in the, the Middle East. Oh. So it's, it's set in some, you know, version, fantastical version of the Middle East. Um, and I'm not going to, you know, it's, they've got, Dr. Abdullah Maxblood and Rasid Al Rasid, um, and Ahmed is speaking with great social, cultural awareness of how these things work. So they're not caricatures. Deep, complicated characters. Basically, there's a power struggle for this this realm. There's an iron-fisted sort of ruler and a insurrectionist, and there's some murders that happen that are related to their struggle. And an elder doctor and has a young assistant who's a swordsman take on the task of investigating the murders and lo and behold it's connected to the larger struggle and 
things don't quite turn out how you think, but you like high fantasy. This is a nice one to try. It did come out in 2012, so a couple years old, as I'm seeing now. But if you like fantasy, that's a good one to try. Uh, as for this request and sort of a general recommendation, a lot of people have been asking about fantasy too, saving it there. Yeah, I'm going to lean on that. Fantasy is not mm-hmm. my uh, strong suit. So I latched on unsurprisingly, to the part about The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell uh, in this request. And for the like decade that I have loved The Sparrow, I haven't had a title to recommend really to people mm-hmm. who loved it. But at long last, um, I think there's a good, <laughs> there's finally a comp title. It's like someone made this happen. Um, the Book of Strange New Things by Michelle Faber. It's a brand new release and it's a beautiful book um, as an object. The cover is gorgeous. It has gold-edged pages that look like old-timey Bible pages. It blends the Sparrow um, space travel, big questions about religion, with some futuristic dystopian elements. It's about a missionary who uh, travels to a planet where uh, we have made a colony, and uh, he has been brought there to preach the gospel to the beings who live on that planet who have been asking for someone to come and tell them the good news. And this is, like, the man is a recovering alcoholic. Um, He, this is his life's work uh, and the thing that he has been dreaming of, this opportunity to go and really do something that uh, he believes is is huge and has global and spiritual and eternal significance. Um, But while he is up on this other planet, like a literal world away from his wife that he's never spent more than a few days from, he's getting emails from her about how there's just this terrible series of things happening on Earth. There are earthquakes and tsunamis. The infrastructure of countries is collapsing. Um, economic support is going crazy. The The world is just falling apart. Um, and he's hearing about this through her and feeling very torn between staying. Um, the planet is called Oasis. Um, so between staying on Oasis and fulfilling what he believes is his mission from God or going back and being uh, with his wife and either doing whatever he can or at least just being there with her at what might be the end of the world. Um, It's a big, beautiful, beautifully written book. Um, I I think it asks more questions than it answers. There's not an argument in this book for belief or for non-belief or for Christianity or for something else. Um, And I thought Faber really presented both sides of that tension of wanting to do this thing that you feel called to do that feels important, but also uh, wanting to be with the person that you've committed your life to and how how humans would really shake that out. Like a a person would like to think that they would just automatically go home um, to be with their spouse. Uh, But it's a it's a big difficult thing and he he paints all of that without judging his characters. It's just so thoughtful and lovely and his writing is really remarkable. one of, uh, I think it's probably my favorite book of the year, but I lost the lottery with Book Riot contributors about, <laughs> about who you gets to. You mean the gold rush? Yeah, I lost yeah. the gold rush for who gets to write about it as uh, as the best book of the year, which is fine. I have a whole bunch of other good choices loaded up. And I thought maybe just for something a little bit different, uh, you might check out some short story collections by Kelly Link. Um, I just read Get in Trouble, uh, which I think doesn't come out until February, so it's probably no hope to you. Uh, or 
no help to you. And I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry for that. It was my first experience with her, but she blends magic and realism and surreal stuff with very grounded observations and insights about uh, humans and our relationships with each other. Um, it seems like a fun and quirky kind of thing to give to someone who's just beginning um, a a career teaching literature where you're going to be teaching a lot of things that are sort of, you know, straight up the middle of the aisle um, or that have been taught for a long time with a point. Um, and Kelly Link stories would be a, a fun break from that. Okay, let's move along. I need some uh, suggestions for my dad, historical fiction, something little order. He doesn't like hardbacks. Okay, I have a couple ideas. So we don't have too much to go on. So I'm going to default Jeff historical fiction mm. mode. And um, the the first uh, tick, the first box in that default is the Killer Angels by Michael Shara, which is the fictionalized account of the Battle of Gettysburg, ah. and it's unbelievable. So good. I listened to it on audiobook last summer. I've been putting it off forever for reasons that I will never forgive myself for. Um, magisterial, even-handed unbelievably paced, superb dialogue, um, unbelievable sense of place, uh, just a remarkable achievement um, there. It's so popular that if your dad likes historical fiction, there's a good chance he's already read that. So I've got one more default. It's not really historical fiction because when Le uh, Le Carre was writing it, it was sort of his world, but now it feels like historical fiction. But it's the Carla trilogy um, that is Tinker, Tailor, Soldier, Spy, um, the Honorable Schoolboy and Smiley's People. It's about a fictionalized, um, they're fictional characters, but it's the British Secret Service against the Russian Secret Service. Um, been turned into two great movies, one starring Gary Oldman, one starring Alec Guinness. And actually, how, that's how I came to it. I love the new one, Gary Oldman, so much, both Michelle and I loved it, that I thought I'd like to read the book. This is, I don't know if other people do this. I'm not really a, see the book, read the book, see the movie person. But I am a, if I find a movie I like, I want to go read the book just to see how it's different. And that's how I came to this one. It's super detailed. Like Le Carre himself was a spy. So he knows what he's talking about. A lot of great trade craft stuff, especially since in this sort of pre-digital world, it's a lot of like, you know, in-person surveillance and tricks and dead drops and abandoned mailboxes and meet me here and use the symbol. Um, and it's really good stuff. And now it is as much historical fiction as ever. And there's three books, and they're all very interesting. The middle one is is set in Hong Kong, uh, and the second one is, is set in Europe. And they're all really good. The main character, George, George Smiley, is he's a reluctant moral hero who sort of has his ups and downs, but you're pulling him for the whole time. There's bureaucrats and spies and all sorts of amazing stuff. Um, so that's one I'd recommend there, too. I'm going to have to finally read Tinker Tailor Soldier Spot. Yeah, it's good. It's the best of the three, and it can stand alone as and well. You've you don't talked have about to read it the enough times that I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. the Jeff Cell. That's right. I. I'm really out of my depth um, on historical fiction for dad. I had noted here the Patrick O'Brien Master and Commander books, um, which I talked about up higher on the show. I don't know. I'm stuck. Okay. Well, that's, that's all right. You can be stuck. Um, another one where we were stuck. And we uh, we sought some advice from our colleagues uh, was from 
a listener who has a five-year-old daughter who asked if there were any books where the character is brown like her. And the listener said the only books that she's found seem to emphasize the difference Mm. in being a person of color. Things like accepting your different hair texture or explaining the history um, of your race. But she'd like to get her a book where the character is a person of color, but they're just doing normal kid things and their skin color is not the topic of the book. Um, She says, I think it's important for her to recognize her heritage in children's books, but also to see that people of color are not only mentioned or seen in a racial context. Um, We could not agree with that Mm -hmm. more. This is the thing we talk about on the show a lot. Um, And since neither of us knows a ton about children's literature, we went to some colleagues who do, um, and they have echoed the concerns that you've shared here, that um, it's really difficult to find these. We've talked previously about studies that show that only about 3% of children's books published are by or about people of color. Um, And so that's a really narrow slice of the pie. And then when you drill down to ones that are just about life, um, not about a life that is about being a person of color, um, it it gets tough. So we have been instructed to recommend uh, that you check out the winners of the Coretta Scott King Award, which you can see at the American Library Association's website. And we'll put a link straight to those winners in the show notes. Um, But our colleagues who know these things recommend that as a a great starting point to discover the finalists and then the winners of the prize. And we're very sorry we don't have more specifics. Yeah, but that's not – we're not children's booksellers or librarians, so that's kind of out of our um, expertise. But I think that's a good resource Mm -hmm. um, for you there. Another one – I guess we're getting stuff that we don't know much about uh, out of the way here. We're kind of doing a, a speed round. Uh, eight-year-old son who's a reluctant reader likes superheroes, so I thought I would try to give him some comics. The problem is I've never read comics. I have no idea where to start. Can you help me? I've only got one pick here, but I really like it. Um, it's Bone by Jeff Smith, and it's a series of comics, but you can buy them in trades now. The series is over, but there's a bunch of them. So if, you're, if your son likes them, you, there's a bunch of them to have. I think there's nine trade volumes, and it was published irregularly between the mid-'90s and the mid-2000s. But it's the three... The it's it's again it's kids comics so it's going to sound weird but the Bone Cousins they're these sort of white bald cartoon characters and they get caught up in mm. a mystery basically and there's this fantastical world they live in but they're sort of goofy it's fun there's some tension um, and they're being pursued and there's some scary things too but it's a fantastical world it's really meant for kids um, parts of it were. Um, republished in Disney Magazine, which is a children's magazine. So it's right, you know, it's going to be age appropriate, um, and it should be a lot of fun. It's very visual. Um, there's a lot of sight gags, but also Jeff Smith, who is the um, author, is a big literature fan. So there's pieces of Moby Dick in it. There's pieces of Huck Finn in it, um, all in this basically kind of blank slate world that these characters live in and inhabit. So I think that's one that an eight-year-old I would be very comfortable recommending that reluctant reader or not. So, okay. You want to take the next one? Yes. The next one is from Taylor. Her best friend is a crazy book lover and the world's most amazing gift giver, mm. like like Leslie Nope levels of amazing. Oh, boy. Uh, and Taylor, I appreciate the reference. <laughs> um, she wants to get a good recommendation for her. And the problem is that uh, the friend says she doesn't like books with too many feels. She doesn't want books um, with a lot of courtship or prolonged, ridiculously stressful situations. 
Um, she's a huge history buff. She likes American and Irish or British history. Um, and off the top of her head, Taylor remembers that her friend liked Bossy Pants by Tina Fey, the Percy Jackson novels by Rick Reardon. Um, and she's into the BBC Sherlock show and Stargate Atlantis. Mm-hmm. So not too many feels. What do you have? Okay. Um, this is one I haven't read, but it's on my to read uh the mental list that goes around and it's called Hilled by Nicola Griffith. It came out last year. Um, it's set in seventh century Britain and it's about the main character Hild, um, who is, she became St. Hilda and according to her, her mother, she's going to be the light in the world and lead her people into the prosperity as, the king's kind of like, not witch, but more of a uh, kind of a seer kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not actually a magician, though. She's just very observant and reads people and behavior patterns, um, whether it's weather or farming or war or economics. Um, but it takes her all the way through her development um, and her grooming and the social change and merging it's a it's supposed to be very meticulously detailed in terms of his research like it's very accurate about the times for mm. you know something we don't know that much about for a 7th century but it's a huge immersive world building kind of book that would it's long um and it would be great for a winter book and that's kind of what I'm I have it as a after the first of the year I'm going to pick mm. up a paperback and spend a week with it. So I'm really looking forward to Hilda. I've seen a lot of people talking about it and it passed whatever critical mass I need of people talking about it to uh to now pick it sold. up. So I'm in. I'm in on Hild. <laughs> okay, so I read this question as not wanting like sort of mushy yes books. Um but if you liked Bossy Pants, there's that sense of humor to it and also slice of life stuff. Percy Jackson is adventure Um So my first pick is um, anything by Lydia Netzer. She has two novels that are out now. Um, the first is Shine, 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 and the second is How to Tell Toledo from the Ninth Sky. Both of them are fantastic. Both of them are about marriages, not about the courtship part, but about like what happens when things get difficult. And the main characters of both books um, are scientists. And so they do fall in love, but there's not prolonged courtship. There's not a traditional romance. There, um, even in Shine, 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 the main character's husband is flying to outer space in a rocket that's filled with robots. So, And the robots are going to build other robots that will eventually build a space station. Um, and he... Uh, does not engage in emotional displays. And so their relationship and marriage are built on like a series of formulas that he's written for himself about like, if she says this, then you do that. If this look on her face, then you respond with these three things. Um, And this to her is like the height of romance that this person cares for her so much that he has studied her and figured out, you know, how to respond in the way that will make her feel the most loved and cared for. Um, And it's, it's just so smart and funny. Her use of language is really unexpected and quirky. Uh, I think Lydia Netzer's voice is very unique in contemporary fiction. How to Tell Toledo from the Night Sky is about two scientists who are coming from opposite ends of the spectrum. One studies um, negative, is it negative matter and like black holes mm. and uh, works at a hadron collider, basically. And the other um, is trying to use astronomy to prove the existence of God. Uh, and they meet 
it through strange circumstances working at a big observatory and have a, a, a weird courtship and she's also untangling issues with her her mother and her mother's alcoholism it's not a it's not a you know story about a romance um but i love these like quirky weird scientist characters who are also trying to like answer these big questions but also answer the basic questions of life and relationships and how we relate to each other um also, I was thinking sort of like big stories, but with slightly detached emotional feels. And I think Kazuo Ishiguro does that so well. Um, the Remains of the Day about a butler who's you know, at the end of his career at a, a point in British history where things are really changing. Um, and also, oh, God, what? What's the boarding school Ishiguro one? I just read it and I can't remember uh, the title. Never let me go. <laughs> never let me go. Yeah. Um, that one's creepy mm-hmm. and not a straight boarding school story. There's some there's some weird things happening in in society, but big strange stuff, and it had that like detached feel. Uh, to me, and also The Unnamed by Joshua Ferris, which came out several years ago. Um, it's about a lawyer who has you know great family, perfect suburban house, and he gets up out of a meeting one day and starts walking um, and just cannot stop. Like, he physically cannot mm. stop walking. And it's this, it, it seems to be this disease or disorder or something that has come over him. Um, they don't know when it's going to hit him. He basically has like these fits where he just gets up and has to move. And so eventually his wife like make, you know, they get him a good coat and they make him a pack and he, it's sort of a fugue state thing. Like he just starts walking and then he'll pass out somewhere. And when he wakes up, he calls her and she comes and gets him. And this ultimately like it, it ruins his career. It stresses their marriage they go to doctors all over the world no one knows what is causing this and so also you know the the big questions there that fiction does about uh our our lives and the things that give us meaning but this driving conflict that's unsolvable and because of the way that he's relating to the world at that moment is also kind of detached there aren't there aren't too many feels there either that's a good pick um all right uh some buttering up here in the first one. We'll uh, we'll leave that for our own files for future edification. Uh, my mom reads mass sellers like James Patterson, Stuart Words, Stuart Words novels. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Can you recommend books that will broaden her eyes but won't turn her off? I've only got one pick here. Um, I don't read a lot of detective novels, but in terms of broadening horizons, I'm going to go with Motherless Brooklyn um, by Jonathan mm. Lethem, which came out in 1999. I remember because I was a um, senior in college. Uh, but so it's it's a detective novel, but the main but it's also Lethem who loves to play with genre. So it's a detective novel. It's sort of uh, an ode and also a send up, but also kind of a homage. To, to noir, especially New York noir. And the main character has Tourette's, and his name is Lionel Esrog. And it's one of the more memorable main characters you're ever going to have. And he's got these involuntary ticks, right? That's one of the things that Tourette's mm-hmm. does. And it kind of is a commentary on that thing that's a, the Gestalt character of detective novels, where mm. it's like, they're not, they're, are they a good guy? They're a good guy, they're, or they're, they're, they want money, but they've got a heart of gold or vice versa. So they're, they're always sort of fighting with themselves. And mm-hmm. Esrog is sort of literally fighting with his own body, trying to keep it together and point himself in the right direction. But the case gives him some moral clarity and also some purpose. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of low stakes, kind of in the same way. Um, 
I don't know. I'm trying to think of what. Uh, oh, I know what I'm thinking. Of. I'm thinking of the 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 current run of Hawk, Hawkeye, where there's like these low level punks. So it's not like a huge conspiracy or anything like that. But the city, CD makeshift world, and it's also a Brooklyn that's no longer around that much anymore. As Brooklyn is gentrified, it's almost a historical novel now. Uh, it was much more like the Brooklyn I moved to. God, 13 years ago now, where gentrification was happening to some degree, but there were some, there's still some rough parts of it, but a lot of the places that Lethem writes about in his other work, and um, including Motherless Brooklyn, are now, you know, complete yuppieville with like gaps and stuff. Um, but it's, a, it's, it's not only a good story, there's a lot of great language and interesting ideas. So that's my broaden the horizon from the detective novel pick. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Detective novels are a little of a thing. For me, ah, okay. um, but not not straight detective novels. I need something going on. Have you read *Motherless uh, Brooklyn*? That's a good. Tip I haven't. For you. I like. I I'm making my own yeah, list okay. of yeah. things to sorry, read. Sorry, sorry. Don't mean to interrupt your show. picks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I'm I'm gonna read that. Um, the first is the series by Tana French that begins with *In the Woods*. Uh, it's about a male female detective team who are sent to a small town. I believe these are set in Ireland. Um, it's been a few years since I read it. Um, something is happening. The these kids have been out in the woods and one of them comes back with his shoes filled with blood. That's not uh, good. That's not a good sign. It's not a good sign. Uh, so the detectives go to this town to try to solve the mystery. Um, but also one of them starts remembering pieces from their past. And it seems that whatever's happening now is connected to something that happens in the past. Um, it's uh, or that happened in the past. It's, um, it's creepy. It's a good page turner. The characters are fun to like to watch together on the page. Um, I liked the second book better um, called The Likeness. And French does an interesting thing where the first book is the guy and the girl. And it's mostly about the guy character. The second book is mostly about that female detective and some other new characters enter the scene. She goes, a, a woman has gone missing. Uh, this woman lived in a house with a bunch of other students, young people her age. And it, uh, conveniently, the detective looks just like the woman who's gone missing. Mm. So she basically she goes undercover in the house with those people to try to figure out which one, like as herself, um, <laughs> come back from being kidnapped uh, to try to figure out what really went on there, who did it. Mm. Um, and also while trying not to get uh, made as herself a detective and not actually the young woman that these people have been living with. It sounds kind of bizarre, but it makes total sense on that. Like you really buy that these people are not noticing that she's not really their roommate um, on the page. It was really fun to read. The third book then picks up one of the side characters from the likeness and that third, that character becomes the main character in the third book. So it's this sort of progression. And I think that's a really interesting way to do a series. Um, Gillian Flynn's books might be a, a good place to go. Um, the, her first is uh, called Sharp Objects, and that's a bit of a, a mystery-solving piece. And then Dark Places is about a, a newspaper reporter who goes to a small town in Missouri to try to crack open um, a case that hasn't been solved yet and that the police haven't succeeded in doing. So this reporter thinks that um, that she's going to do it. So there you get case cracking from a different angle. Um, oh, and this year, Lauren Bucas's book, Broken Monsters, this is the biggest horizon stretcher, um, mm. I think, but it's a, at its core, it's a detective story. Um, someone in Detroit is killing kids and um, sewing their bodies onto animal bodies. 
as art. Uh, and the one of the main characters is a detective. We get stuff from her perspective. There are chapters from her teenage daughter's perspective. There are chapters about um, other artists in the Detroit scene. There's a guy who's trying to get YouTube famous talking about the Detroit art scene, but then also trying to cover this story. And then we also spend chapters in the head of the serial killer um, from, from his perspective. It's edge of your seat it is so so creepy um the last like 50 or 100 pages of it felt a lot to me like the scenes in the last couple episodes of true detective um it was that level of weird and unsettling so i definitely think about that if this is a good fit or not for for your mom but i thought it was really phenomenal uh, and just in, it was impossible to put down even though I was like oh what's gonna happen is mm. it coming for me like, <laughs> I had super creepy dreams for a couple of nights thanks to Lauren Bucus. Um we're gonna have to do a little bit of a speed round um ones where we don't have a great pick or there's like mm-hmm. a very specific answer we have so let's do a few of those in a row uh this is something to give my housemates considered going to medical school and also going into comics uh how'd be cool if those powers could combine any good comics or graphic novel about medicine or doctoring uh, we came up empty. We asked our friends over at panels and they had some suggestions, but nothing that was a fastball down the middle. So I'm just going to give a graphic novel recommendation of something I like and just sort of the, the quality of that alone will be my recommendation. Um, City of Glass is a novel that Paul Oster actually wrote, but then David uh, Mazzucchelli, which is one of the more famous graphic novel ad- illustrators, adapted it to be a graphic novel for reasons I don't really understand. Um, but it turned out awesome. And it's a story about New York, and it's about perception, and it's a mystery. Um, and Mazzucchelli uses some of the concerns about language and perception and madness uh, that Oster brings up and portrays it on the page in some really haunting and arresting imagery. It's it's really remarkable. So it's not it's sort of in, it's sort of involving psychology that's as close of a crowbarring in of thematic <laughs> concern as you have but that's just a great graphic novel for someone who's getting into comics it's more of kind of the literary fiction version of comics so if you know unless he's only superheroes i think it's a good pick and it's been out for a while so probably under the radar for someone who's just getting into it so that's my pick there great okay then well, let's do our next sponsor. Oh, yeah, that's a good spot. We're in, we're in comics, yeah. so t- tell me about our next sponsor. Uh, our next sponsor this week is Valiant Comics. You can go to the Valiant, sorry, ValiantUniverse.com to get information. Valiant is an award-winning comic book publisher, and this is a new self-contained comics event from three of the biggest creators in comics today. Jeff Lemire, who's known for Animal Man and Green Arrow at DC, and Sweet Tooth and Trillium at Vertigo. Uh, Matt Kent, who's known for the creator-owned series like Mind Management at Dark Horse, and the Art is by Paolo Rivera, who's an Eisner Award-winning artist uh, whose work you would recognize from Daredevil at Marvel. Uh, the Valiant Universe is kind of like the DC and Marvel universes. There are heroes and villains. All of their individual storylines take place within the one big universe that has a shared history. Uh, and so uh, The Valiant, which is the new series that uh, Valiant Comics is bringing out, features nearly every Valiant hero and villain united against a comic. <laughs> I always say comic here. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> United against a cosmic threat 10,000 years in the making. It's an all-new entry point into Valiant's award-winning publishing line, and it's the perfect place to discover why Valiant Comics is one of the most critically acclaimed publishers anywhere in comics today. Um, it seems to me also that this would be a good place to just get into comics Mm -hmm. um there uh aren't the big like sort of the baggage that you might be bringing from cultural stuff of recognizing marvel and dc characters um it's not i've looked at some of these and it doesn't seem nearly as intimidating to me as a relative newcomer to comics um the valiant number one is the first of four issues that'll come out in the series that will be out in print and online on december 10th and valiant is also um making available 9.99 volume one trade paperbacks of a bunch of their other comics including exo manowar archer and armstrong quantum and woody rye and more um, with that special intro price at nine ninety nine, so that you can read the first volume of those stories, sort of dip your toes in and figure out which ones are the stories that you want to keep up with, and then you can maybe catch up and start reading them as the new issues come out. So go to valiantuniverse.com to get all the information about those and about the Valiant number one, which comes out on December 10th. And thanks to Valiant Comics for sponsoring. Uh, all right, here okay. we go. Patrick yep. on Twitter. Um, and your ex for a high school age sister who liked classics and feminism. She's a better teen than I ever was. <laughs> She's later in high school and by classics, she meant classicless Greeks and Romans. I nailed this one smack on the head. You so did. Nailed it out of the park. Um, so I'll let you go first because it'll be hard to follow. <laughs> oh, that's not nice. <laughs> uh, I recommended the pairing of Lysistrata, the Greek classic yes. pl- play in which the women want the men to come back from war and so they withhold sex until the men do <laughs> uh, with The Uncoupling by Meg Wallitzer, which is a contemporary novel in which a high school is performing the Lysistrata and uh, women in the town just start turning away from the men in their beds mm-hmm. and something is happening. And it's, you know, a little bit of an adult uh, topic, but if you have a high school sister who's reading the classics and feminism she on can her handle own, it. she's, she's up for it. That's a valiant effort. Very good job on your part. <laughs> Don't even it, try to make me feel better. Just go on. <laughs> the Penelope ad by Margaret Atwood. It's the story of uh, Penelope who was, uh, your sister knows if you don't, Patrick, um, Odysseus's long-suffering <laughs> wife who was waiting for him back in Ithaca and just told from her point of view. And it's great, and it's smart, and it's feminist, and it's a classic. And there you go. That's, and it's a fastball right up the middle. Right, I mean, that. You, I, that's, it's you, like the fastest of fastballs. You put that on a tee for me, Patrick. <laughs> I, I get a lot of pleasure out of doing that. All right. Uh, the next one is, why don't you take the next one? Because you have a better answer for All this right. one than this I did. This next one sure. is from Rachel. She's looking for Hanukkah gifts for her mother um, that, in, that can indulge her latest obsession, which is golf. Mom is a constant reader and a pretty versatile one. Uh, she flies through Nora Roberts, J.D. Robb, but she's also read Michelle Faber's The Crimson Petal and the White. Whoop, go mom. It's one of my mm-hmm. favorites. A uh, whole bunch of other good stuff. Also, John Meacham's American Lion. Um, she's planning to give her McCullough's Mornings on Horseback, but was wondering about something else that's like Faber's fiction or historical narratives that might whet her reading appetite with bonus points for golf themes. I have this one. Mm-hmm. I have it so you do. locked you, you, up. You, you smack this one. Go, I, go do it then. Go I do it. Just do the thing. I dug down into my bag mm. of goodness. Mr. Rosenblum Dreams in English by Natasha Solomon. Uh, it's a couple years old now. It's about, uh, uh, I think... He, 
British, maybe? Uh, I don't remember where it's set. It's set in a place that does not really have many golf courses. He and his wife live out in the country, and it is Mr. Rosenblum's uh, dream to build a golf course and then for a big tournament to be played on it. He is obsessed uh, to the detriment of his marriage and pretty much the other things uh, in his life. So he he builds his course, he writes letters, inspectors must come and check out his course and things do not go as planned. It's so heartrending and <laughs> funny. Um, you feel a little sorry for him and you root for him the whole time. It is the only novel I think I've ever read that was golf themed. <laughs> But I'm glad I read it so I could do this. Um, my pick is one I haven't read, but again, it's on my on my um, someday maybe list. A lot of our book riot um, contributors really liked it. It came out mm-hmm. last fall. I think several of them picked it as one of the best books they read. It's the yep. it was Amanda's favorite book of the year. Last that's right. Year. Uh, the signature of all things by Elizabeth Gilbert, uh, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Um, and some of us were skeptical that she's writing this novel and it's going to be good, and were pleasantly surprised it's it's actually she it, the the protagonist is a woman named Alma Whitaker who is scientifically minded but it's it's set in the 19th century and so she's bounded by the conventions of the day her um father is a, a botanist but so she has most of her life she has access to the tools of the trade and the estate but she doesn't have sort of the uh, liberty to go out into the world and and um explore like she wants to, but she finally gets a chance and she goes out into the world and tries to take her place among the great sort of gentleman explorer scientists of that age, which is so interesting, that that era of um, scientific discovery. So I'm really looking forward to it. I actually was reminded of it, and I don't think I mentioned it in any of my recs, which is amazing because I've talked about it incessantly all year, um, <laughs> a, a brief history of nearly everything by Bill mm-hmm. Bryson. Um, has long chapters devoted to major discoveries that were done in this time period by sort of amateurs who were self-taught and they go out and discover stuff like dinosaurs <laughs> and geology. <laughs> uh, it's kind of amazing. Um, but that reminded me that this was, this is about, so it's on my um, sooner rather than later list. So I think that would be a good pick for your mom who likes historical narratives and expands her uh, repertoire just a little bit. Mm. All right. Next one is for someone who's shopping for a coworker who's very much into the writing of Ernest Hemingway. He's read Hemingway's fiction and some of his nonfiction. He's looking for good biographies or Hemingway type things. I think we can both take credit because you would. I think I got this one to this mm-hmm. before you did. So we both hit this one out of the park. Uh, <laughs> Are we going to hold hands while we run the bases? Yeah, we're going to have to both hold the bat from opposite side of the plate. It won't be awkward at all. Not at all awkward. <laughs> we're never awkward. Never, what are you never, talking about? Never, especially when we're recording at the in person at the same time. Um, so this is not Hemingway, but one of Hemingway's great acolytes uh, came a little bit later, but also served in war, served in Korea. He was a mm-hmm. fighter pilot. And his great war novel is called The Hunters. And it's about being um, a fighter pilot during the Korean War. And if your coworker likes Hemingway, going to like Salter. Same sorts of concerns, masculinity, honor, uh, bravery, um, excellence, I think, is mm-hmm. kind of one thing that's not often talked about as something mm-hmm. Hemingway's interested, but Salter himself is very interested in that as well. Um, and it has beautiful descriptions of these dogfights and flying these early jet planes and has a wonderful ending. One of the great endings oh, that stuck with me for all ending. time. 
Um, that's The Hunters by James Salter. Mm. I'd say seal that with wax and get it right yeah, now. Yeah, it is unbelievable that that was someone's first novel. Un, it's just... Un, <laughs> Like rage, staggering. jealous flames. It is so staggering. I, I had read other Salters before yes. I got to the Hunters, and then when I was having my summer of Salter last year, reading the whole catalog, I just, you just can't say it enough. It is yeah. unbelievable that that was someone's first novel, and then so the rest of Salter's career is also incredible. That's that's a great pick. Um, sort of well more contemporary but in the same vein that i thought of while you were saying that is the yellow birds Mm. um that came out last year kevin wilson yes wilson kevin wilson um it's about the iraq war but um from the perspective of a veteran several years after the war about something that happened uh during the war that may or may not have been the right thing to do and so very much about uh his his honor again um about taking care of the people that you were there with it's that spare beautiful prose um kevin really. powers kevin powers. kevin powers just snapped into place yeah All really right, phenomenal let's move on um riad asked uh, my family's asked me for christmas list and once i don't have an enormous list of books i'm normally a fan of sci-fi and fantasy like george r, r. martin brandon sanderson blah, blah blah last year after listening to your podcast i got a the unseen actually that's a good pick if you do like fantasy yep um, that's that's one from years past that's good. Can you think of anything that might be good? I'm going back to um, The Throne of the Crescent Moon by Salazar and Ahmed I just recommended. That's a good pick for fantasy. Going to add one more on top of that. Um, if you like fantasy and sci-fi, I'm going with the Chaos Walking Trilogy by Patrick Ness. It is both fantasy and sci-fi kind of wrapped into one. Um, it's space colonization, but then there's fantastical elements that gets layered onto it. Um, and I'm not going to say much more about that because it's like the opening bit is part of the, well, I'll do the opening bit where this colonists have arrived on this planet. And after a while, the men can start to hear each other's thoughts. Hmm. And so can the women, but the men can't hear the women's thoughts. And you know, that goes well. That, that's the kind of thing that would go I don't want to hear well. all the dude's thoughts, Jeff. Yeah. I don't. Um, but then it becomes a problem, and there's a kid who becomes a protagonist and sets out on a journey, and it goes crazy, and it's awesome and weird. It's like nothing else I've ever read. Um, but you're, if you're in the mood for epic, a little weird, a little crazy, but very moving Chaos Walking trilogy, the first one is called The Knife of Never Letting Go. And then from there, you can find it. But just Google Chaos Walking Trilogy. You'll find them all there. All right. I took fantasy sci-fi and tried to go the opposite direction from these huge books that you've Mm. been talking about, Riyadh. So since you mentioned Martin and Sanderson and Guy Gavril K, I went to short stories. Um, Salsa Nocturnal by Daniel Jose Older. Um, I've just read this. It's really phenomenal. Um, I don't think, well, it's not straight sci-fi or fantasy. It's like speculative, weird fiction uh, in an alternate New York where the main character of the linked stories in the collection is half dead. Mm. And, <laughs> right and he's he all dead no he's all half dead. dead is different than, sorry, it's different he's reference. not all dead he's not a ghost not a ghost he's half dead he can see and talk to ghosts um but living people can't see and talk to ghosts uh he's half dead he works for this council that uh, oversee all the thing, like all the supernatural things that happen in this alternate new york and so like in the first short story um there's a terrible smell in a park and it turns out that it's because like an ancient phantom herd of woolly mammoths is storming 
the park on their migration and they have driven all the ghosts out of the park. And so this guy's job in that story is to capture the phantom pachyderm, which is also (laughs) incidentally the name of my new band. Um, it's so great. I am really not doing a good job describing it. Uh, but there are multiple stories in the collection about that character and about his experience being half dead, trying to chase ghosts and phantoms and bad spirits that are trapped in dolls and music boxes. And then there are other stories about other people that that live in that same world. It's weird. It's really funny. There's this fantastic rhythm and voice to Older's writing. Um, I'm just having uh, had so much fun reading it and I was lying in bed giggling at it um, at a lot of points. So I highly recommend that. Um, and, And for a more recent something, I would go to Tiger Man by Nick Harkaway, which is a little closer to to sci fi, but about a retired uh, army general, I believe, who's been stationed on this tiny island um, where he thinks he's just supposed to like serve out the rest of his the rest of his career um, and then retire in in quiet. And he befriends this young kid who's into the internet and comics. But it turns out there are these weird, supernatural, dangerous things happening. And then there are like warlords and mercenaries. And he's got to join with his young friend to fight the bad guys. And it's so fun and wonderful and funny. Nick Harkaway. That's another repeat on the show, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay. We got to do lightning round. So what we're going to do is we're going to give <gasps> a, a quick overview of the question and then we're going to do our pick in one sentence or one or two sentences of why. Okay. Ready? Okay. You ready? Two requests, one from me and one from my father. I'll do my father first. Father likes to read blah, blah, blah. He likes Tom Clancy in terms of fiction. Um, and in nonfiction, he likes most history, particularly towards World War II, Cold War spy stuff. Not a fan of biographies. Can you help? Your pick. Liar Temptress Soldier Spy by Karen Abbott. It's different than anything that he's read. It's about four women who went undercover in the Civil War. True story. Fascinating stuff. Um, I'm going with... I had three, but I have to pick one. I'm actually going with Moonraker by Ian Fleming. It is the best of the Fleming Bond novels. And if your dad hasn't actually read any of the Bond novels, that's the one to do. It's completely different than the movie, which is awesome. If you've seen the movie, it only has the same name. Everything else is different. Well, Bond is in it, but everything else is different. I did, I think for the site two years ago, mm-hmm. I spent summer reading all the Fleming bo- novels and ranking them, and this was number one with the bullet. So that's my pick for you there. And this was um, Katrina's pick for herself. Uh, she likes Holocaust stories, historical fiction, 1500 forward, blah, blah, blah. Um, you just yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I did. I'm trying to go, <laughs> that's how you go fast. Uh, did you have a pick here? I didn't. I was stuck. Okay. Um, I'm going, I've got two. How am I going to pick which one? Uh, hmm, 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 hmm. I'm going with the Sandcastle Girls um, by Chris Bojillian. And this is, it's actually set during an Armenian genocide. Um, it's a small family. It's kind of like, I guess the analog, it's not World War II Holocaust like you were sort of talking about, but the same kind of idea of a, a group of people swept up in forces larger than they can control. Um, it's really interesting. It's a part of history I don't really know that much about. It. It's a heartbreaking book. And it's one of those books where I feel so bad about how much history there is I don't know. Mm. You know, there's just, this is a piece and it's a terrible piece of history for part of the book. It's not all about that. Um, but that's one you probably haven't read before. Um, oh, one just bubbled up. Oh, okay. Day for Night by Frederick Reichen, which is a novel kind of in short stories, but not really. It's a it's an unusual 
format, um, but not set in the Holocaust, set in contemporary time about uh, a woman who fled Europe with her mother during World War II. And 50 years later, uh, she starts believing that uh, her father, who was killed during the war, is nearby. It's like a very lucid mm. hallucination. Um, and so she travels to try to, she goes back to Europe to try to unravel this real story. So there, there's a Holocaust history element, but also a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, it's an impossible novel to sum up, but uh, the year that it came out, I think it was 2010. It was one of my favorite books of the year. Um, okay. Let's see. Where are we now? I'm lost. I'm lost. I'm lost. Uh, I'm lost. We are at from Heather. Okay. Go for it. Uh, she has a, a brother. She wants to give him some kind of philosophical book. Nothing that's too dryly academic. Something that would interest a kind of hippie 30 year old who posts things on Facebook. Like, are we born with rights? <laughs> I feel like that's like the most dead on <laughs> description we've got so far. Yeah. Heather, you know, your brother well. Um, my pick is a graphic novel, actually. Logic Comics, An Epic Search for Truth. Uh, it's a graphic novel about... Um, Logic Comics? Cosmic Comics? Logic Comics. Okay. What'd I say? You said... Lo- well, it says Cosmic Comics Oh, on I wrote notes. it down wrong. No, okay. it's, log- it's Logic Comics. Uh, L-O-G-I-C-O-M-I-X. Okay. And it's a graphic novel about um, mathematics and it's told through the life story of Bertrand Russell, who was a mathematician and a logician and philosopher. And it's by uh, a Greek guy named Apostolos Dioxidis, which is uh, very difficult. So I'm not going to try to spell it for you. Just Google it there. It's great. It takes you through a history of sort of 20th century philosophy and morality and Bertrand Russell's own life. So it's a nice primer for someone who wants something sophisticated without being um, abstruse. I really liked it, Um, and I think someone who is interested in big questions will find it both accessible um, and interesting, and I'm so sorry that he will probably quote it back to you uh, like he knows what he's talking about, but you asked. (laughs) That's our fault. You can come back and blame Jeff. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I have two. I'll be quick. Um, Alanda Baton writes, has written a bunch of small books about contemporary philosophical issues. He's just worth a Google. You'll find uh, something that will be up your kind of hippie brothers alley. And the Are We Bored With Rights post on Facebook got me thinking about a book by Garrett Kaiser called Privacy that's a year or two old. That's about the concept of privacy, um, uh, both in a philosophical and a legal sense, um, and how that plays out in our personal lives and in our public lives, particularly now that we have the internet and that the concept of privacy has evolved in uh, in ways that like the founding fathers could not have foreseen when they wrote the constitution it um for me it was a little brain bendy i don't read a bunch of you know mm-hmm. big philosophy but it was really fascinating and great food for thought Okay, we've got some more, just you or just I. So this one's okay. you. My father likes books about the mafia, both in fiction and nonfiction. Any recommendations would be much appreciated. Rothstein by David Petruja. Uh, it's about the guy who, among other things, fixed the World Series. And if you were watching uh, Boardwalk Empire on HBO, uh, he was, Arnold Rothstein was one of the, the main characters. Classic, like, 1920s gangster proto-mafia, really, before, mm. uh, before the big Italian mafia stories that we saw um, in the 40s. It's a great big book. It'll keep your dad busy for a while. 
All right, the next one is also just you. My dad loves Tom Clancy, Robert Ludlum, and David Baldacci type books. Any suggestions? Okay, I went for nonfiction here, but in that same vein, Flawless by Scott Andrew Selby and Greg Campbell is about the largest diamond heist in world history. It's not like nonfiction, so it happened, but it's edge of your seat and page turning tension about the people planning this diamond heist and then what's going to happen as they do it. Um, it felt very Ocean's Eleven to me. It was a ton of fun to read. Um, let's see. Uh, every year I give my dad a book for Christmas. He's one of those people who doesn't like to waste money as a present, but I can give away with a book because he's a reader. Uh, he says it's primary genre, fantasy, light, sci-fi. I also enjoy those genres. Her caveat, though, is she's been listening to podcasts like this one and getting into blogs, so she's kind of skimmed off the top. Like mm-hmm. the Martian, Magician series, Book of Stranger Things. She's hit all our buttons. And the Sparrow. There he is. We got just yep. drunk off our own drinking game on Christine. <laughs> she just won bingo. She Christine, just won bingo. You have won bingo. Congratulations. So I'm going with a book that I am definitely going to read this um, this winter called Ancillary Justice by Anne. I don't know how to say her last Lecky. name. It's Lecky. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of our book riot contributors who've read it loved it, who like sci-fi. And it's set in the many thousands of years in the future where it's a super sophisticated um, society, but these the people, these inhabitants, I'm not even sure if they're people really, run their lives through basically avatars that do their work for them that are humanoids and they're called ancillaries because they're sort of like a, you know, a robotic familiar almost. And there's basically one of their starships goes missing and it reveals some mystery, and I actually don't know what happens. So I'm not going to spoil it for both of us by finding out more. But that's been <laughs> sort of the, I guess, the nerd's sci-fi pick of the year is kind of what I'm picking up on. So yeah, that's my that's recommendation fair. there. All right. Nancy is looking for nonfiction or fiction books about chess, bridge, or poker. For her dad, he regularly reads advanced how-to books on those games, um, but older ones that tend to be um, 15 years old or so. So more recent recommendations. Um, also, no, nonfiction on well-known players, history of the game, famous tournaments, etc. Um, I went to The Noble Hustle by Colson Whitehead, which came out this year. That's a repeat of uh, Whitehead on this show mm. uh, now, but uh, Colson Whitehead got Grantland magazine to stake him to play in the World Poker Tournament a few years ago, and he wrote about the experience about the experience of moving just from like his weekly you know buddies night playing poker to training, having a coach, to going uh, to Atlantic City to play in practice tournaments, and then eventually to being in the main event. It's just as much about Colson Whitehead's mm. uh, individual brand of neurosis <laughs> and like <laughs> cultural malaise uh, as it is about poker. But um, not knowing much about poker, I thought it was fun and interesting if you know a ton about poker there might be nuggets to dig up there uh, my pick is Kasparov in Deep Blue by Bre- uh, Bruce Mandolfini. I actually read an uh, excerpt of this in a magazine. I don't remember when. Mm. It's been out for a while. But it's it's only about, I think, uh, 150 or 200 pages, but it's about the the first match between Kasparov and IBM's Deep Blue computer. Um, and it's interesting stuff. I was reminded of it recently because there's, there's a big section of uh, Nate Silver's Signal in the Noise that deals with that. Mm. So that's a good pick if you like chess. Rita. Long-time listener. Who, one of our first one, listeners. One of our first listeners. So we need to make sure to get hers. Two Rex needed one for my mother, one for my father. Both are avid readers but won't waste money on her. Boy, the, her parents are skinflints here when it comes to buying books. I want to get to something that's, now, that's out now and newish. My dad reads crime mysteries like Lee Child. He also used to read westerns. I remember growing up, there was an entire shelf dedicated to Louis L'Amour. 
From a mother, she's big into cozy mysteries, well, vampires and witches. She loved discovery witches. Hmm, maybe I should just get her that. Not a bad <laughs> idea, as it turns out. She looks like books about detectives. Um, my pick, yeah, I, I forgot about the hardcover. You want something that's out new. Um, the Sister Brothers by Patrick DeWitt, I would recommend for your dad. It's a Western. It's funny. It's got a wink in its eye. Great dialogue. Also, we're going to shout out Marie Durizzo for like the ninth time. But her book... <laughs> Doc, which is about Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday, came out last year, and I finally got around to reading it, and it's unsurprisingly really good because it's a great character, and she's awesome. So that's what I pick for Westerns. Mm -hmm. And then for your mom, you know what? All of our people who've read The Silkworm by Gal Rowling, is that how we say? J.K. Robert Gal Rowling? (laughs) Gal Rowling, yes. Uh, Rob Rowling, let's call him that. Robert Galbraith, also known as um, J.K. Rowling. Uh, Everyone's liked it. And yeah. the, the second one is out that's called, what's uh, it, is it, I can't remember what it's <laughs> called now because we're brain dead and we're at the end of the show. We've been talking for so many hours Anyway, now. look it up, Rita. You're good at the internet. We know you. What the, what the second Galbraith one? That might even still be in hardcover if you want to spring for something for your dad. Or excuse me, for your mom in hardcover. And... This concludes... This concludes our marathon now slap happy version. Extravaganza bonanza. As always, <laughs> you know where to find us. We're on Twitter at Book Riot. I'm at the Jeff O'Neill. She's at Rebecca Shinsky. You can find the show notes, the list of all the books we talked about on this show, readinglives.com slash podcast. You can shoot us an email if we've offended you. If, bookriot.com slash podcast. Email at podcast.bookriot.net. <laughs> Dot Twitter. Dot, dot Twitter. Dot Twitter. Dot at us. I'll tumble for you. Yes. Um, <laughs> internet us. We'll be there. Internet us. And there's something else I was going to say. Oh, we'll do this again, um, unbelievably, in the, in the early summer. Our dad's grads and summer reading recommendation extravaganza. We'll be back. As always, thank you guys so much for listening to the show. We hope you have a very merry holiday season. We're going to see, keep pumping out shows through December. And if our book recommendations oh, yes. did not meet your fancy, then you can check out store.bookriot.com for other bookish delights. And we'll be back the week after Thanksgiving with news and something publishing and something stupid. We'll make sounds about how much we ate. And uh, safe travels and a very merry holidays to all of you out there. Happy holidays, y'all.